retransmitting from the heart of Times Square on 99.5 FM, WBAI New York, Pacifica Radio for the Tri-State Area. This is Trump Watch, a weekly series investigating the actions of and reactions to President Donald J. Trump and his administration. I'm your host, Jesse Lent. Without a strong labor movement, there will not be a strong middle class. A lot of people don't understand this, but when workers negotiate good contracts for their members, it impacts every worker in the community because wages go up for everybody. That was Vermont Senator and presidential candidate in the 2016 Democratic primary, Bernie Sanders, speaking in Janesville, Wisconsin in April of 2016, footage courtesy of the official Bernie Sanders YouTube page, edited for time. So do you agree with Senator Sanders' view that unions are critical to raising the income and quality of life for all workers? What about for the future of the Democratic Party? Hello and welcome to Trump Watch. My guest tonight, Peter Dreyer, the E.P. Clapp Distinguished Professor of Politics at Occidental College and author of the August 13th Rewire.News article, Want White Working Class Voters to Support Democrats, Strengthen Unions, believes that not only are unions the key to Democratic success, but a major reason that Donald Trump triumphed in the 2016 election. He joins me now from California. Hello, Professor Dreyer. Welcome to Trump Watch. Thank you so much for joining me. Good to be here. For listeners who aren't familiar with your work, can you talk about some of the basic reasons that you believe unions, or more specifically the diminished ability of unions to mobilize Democratic voters in the 2016 election, led to Trump's victory? Sure. The the labor movement had a big upsurge during the Depression, after Congress passed what's called the Wagner Act, the National Labor Relations Act, and it gave workers the right to unionize, a huge uh, improvement, a huge victory for workers' rights and human rights. Um, And during the Depression, and then again after World War II, the labor movement uh, really expanded, uh, grew in power uh, by the mid-1950s, and it had uh, lifted uh, tens of millions of American workers into the middle class, uh, and also used its uh, its clout in elections by mobilizing its members, getting them to vote, and getting them to vote for pro-worker, pro-union, and progressive candidates, uh, primarily Democrats. Um, and that has been the case ever since. Uh, even today, uh, a significant majority of union members vote for Democrats, but much less so than uh, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, because the number of unionized workers in the United States has declined uh, dramatically. It was about 34% in the mid-50s. It really shrunk in the 70s and 80s. And today, only 11% of all American workers are unionized and only 6%, 6 6.5% in the private sector, which means that the unions don't have... There's 15 million union members in the United States, so that's still... Uh, a big number, but it's nowhere what it was before, which means they don't have the members or the money to uh, have the kind of impact they had in the past. And uh, it particularly has an impact on their ability to mobilize uh, white working class uh, members in elections. Uh, And it helps explain why Donald Trump uh, did uh, so well with uh, white working class members, two-thirds 
of all uh, of all white working class Americans uh, voted for Trump. Uh, that's not true of union members, um, but it's true of um, uh, of white working class people in general. And if we want to uh, shift working class people back into the Democratic Party and uh, electing liberals and progressives to office who not only support uh, workers' rights legislation, but um, gay rights legislation, women's rights, environmental legislation, support for public schools and workplace safety and all kinds of other things, then we need to revitalize the labor movement. Right. You report that by 2016, the labor movement had sunk to membership levels lower than at any time since the early 1900s. What were some of the reasons for such a drastic decline in union members? Well, if you, uh, if you ask most business leaders, they'll tell you it's because Americans don't want to join unions. They don't believe in unions. Um, uh, they believe they're more individualistic, and they think they can uh, be successful on their own. But that's actually not the case. Um, back in the uh, in the 1950s, about uh, when Gallup uh, did a poll every year, um, about 75 percent of all uh, Americans said that they supported unions, um, and um, and that flipped dramatically to uh, as low as 48 percent in 2009. But since 2009, and particularly um, in the last few years. Uh, support for unions has steadily climbed. Uh, last year, 61% of all Americans said they supported unions, and it's particularly um, true of young people, 18 to 29, who have uh, about 68% said they support unions. There was a really interesting study done by researchers at uh, at MIT last year, um, and they they discovered, they asked people who were not in unions, would you like to join a union if you could? And they discovered that if all the non-union, non-management workers in the United States who wanted to join a union had the opportunity to do so, that union membership would increase uh, more than four times, from 15 million members today to 70 million members. Um, so imagine uh, a country uh, like uh, uh, like Denmark or Sweden where about 60 or 70 percent of the workforce is unionized. That would be the case in the United States if everybody who wanted to join a union, or at least told pollsters they would like to join a union, were able to do so. But the problem is that uh, our labor laws, the federal labor laws that govern labor management relations, are so one-sided in favor of management, in favor of business, um, that uh, it's almost impossible, even for the most talented union organizers and most committed workers to um, to win an election under the current system. And so, uh, and what, one reason is uh, people get fired. Almost uh, every union organizing drive, uh, you know, the businesses, uh, the employers threaten and often do fire employees, particularly the leaders of the union drive. And that, of course, intimidates other workers. And so, um, uh, and so unless we change our labor laws, uh, more like they are in Canada, for example, um, then it's going to be very difficult to grow the labor movement. So uh, the, the major conclusion of my article was that the Democrats, uh, if they take back a majority in the House and in the Senate, um, and particularly in 2020 if they win the White House, a top priority should be uh, revising, reforming, and updating our federal labor laws. 
Um, and the, um, the vehicle for doing that right now is something called the Workplace Democracy Act, which is uh, co-sponsored by uh, 12 Democrats in the Senate and uh, quite a lot of Democrats in the House. But, of course, that will be a huge uphill fight because every business lobby in the country will organize and spend a lot of money to try to stop it. But um, that's what's really needed to make our labor laws to level the playing field between workers and uh, employers uh, so that we can grow the labor movement and, um, and grow the, uh, the progressive movement in general. But despite the major reduction in the strength of unions since the 1950s, as we just discussed, you still believe that the labor, the labor movement with 15 million members nationwide is what you describe as the most potent liberal force in U.S. politics. Why? Well, for one thing, there's no other organization that has 15 million members, not, the, not Planned Parenthood, not uh, the Sierra Club, uh, not all the community organizing groups around the country. Um, they're all wonderful, and they all contribute to the uh, progressive coalition. But, you know, labor has um, a dedicated source of revenue dues, uh, although the uh, Supreme Court's Janus decision uh, last month is going to hurt that. Um, and also, there's a lot of evidence, which I uh, mentioned in my article, that shows that unions do have a huge impact on how people vote. I'll give you just a couple of quick examples. In uh, 2012, uh, most white working class people voted for George, Rom- for uh, sorry, for Mitt Romney over uh, Barack Obama. Uh, white working class people, um, gun owners voted overwhelmingly for Romney. Uh, evangelical, white evangelicals voted overwhelmingly for Romney. But um, white working class people who were in unions voted for, or disproportionately, um, a vast majority for Obama. Even gun owners who were in unions voted for Obama, a majority. Uh, white evangelicals uh, more for Obama if they were in a union than if they weren't. Um, and so when um, when working-class people, particularly white working-class people, have uh, a conflict or tension between how they should vote on their economic interests and how they should vote on their, you know, what people call guns and God, whether they uh, gun ownership and, and uh, their religious views, if they're in a union, the unions spend a lot of time and, and money and effort to educate their members, to mobilize their members, to get their members involved in campaigns if possible, and that makes a huge difference. And so, ironically, it was, uh, you know, a, a big, a big reason why we had our first black president, Barack Obama, was because white union members uh, voted for him in disproportionate numbers. Uh, and if they had not been unionized, they probably would have voted first for McCain and then for Romney. And um, it got even more dramatic, obviously, in the last election, um, where you know, working class white People voted for Obama, and uh, it's important to realize that in three states uh, where Obama, sorry, where um, Clinton lost by 77,000 votes in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, if Hillary Clinton had gotten 77,000 more votes, she would have won the Electoral College in uh, those three states, and she would have been the president. Now, you know, we all have issues with Hillary Clinton, but I think we've all learned a an important lesson over the last year and a half, which is it's better to fight a, a moderate to liberal Democrat than a reactionary megalomaniac Republican. So 
Right. Uh, I mean, well, we're not uh, big fans of on the show of relitigating the 2016 election, but you do have a fascinating breakdown that some listeners may not be familiar uh, with, which is, like you said, uh, uh, that it was these votes in three states and out of 136 million votes cast, Clinton had three million more votes in the popular vote. Had she won 77,000 more votes in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, she would have won an Electoral College majority in the presidency. Also, you point out that Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, as you just said, are all states that used to be big union strongholds. Is this the key reason why you believe a stronger labor movement could have won the presidency for the Democrats? Oh, absolutely. If, uh, so, you know, just uh, in the 1960s and 70s, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan had over 30% of its uh, workforce unionized. And um, uh, in the 2016 election, um, uh, Wisconsin had fallen down to 8% unionized. And in Michigan and Pennsylvania, it was down to about 15, uh, 12 or 14%. So that meant that there were, you know, half as many people able to, you know, be mobilized uh, by the labor movement in terms of uh, reaching out to their members. Um, and that would have made a big difference. And they would have... Uh, Organized uh, in Milwaukee, where uh, the in, uh, where the uh, African American vote dropped dramatically. I mean, of course, it has a lot to do with uh, in Wisconsin, in particular, where Hillary Clinton didn't campaign very much. But um, if the unions had had the same level of strength in 2016 that they had, and even in 2008, uh, they would have had a lot more members. They would have had a lot more money, they would have had a lot more ability to mobilize people and get them to vote for Hillary Clinton. And um, it's absolutely the case that uh, a weaker labor movement was, uh, you know, a major reason, perhaps the major reason why uh, why uh, Donald Trump is able to be elected president. Sounds like you have a very uh, vocal labor supporter over there with you uh, of the four-legged variety. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, He's a member of... Uh, Dogs International Labor Union. <laughs> I'm speaking with Peter Dreyer, professor of politics at Occidental College and author of the August 13th Rewire.News article, Want White Working Class Voters to Support Democrats, Strengthen Unions. You're listening to Trump Watch. My name is Jesse Lent. Uh, professor, Dre- professor Dreyer, you write near the top of your article that, quote, some liberal pundits argue that a coalition of people of color and highly educated whites is sufficient to sustain a progressive majority in future elections. But these arguments ignore critical demographic realities. White working class Americans still comprise a large segment of voters in most states and in many congressional and state legislative districts, unquote. Do you worry that your perspective, while undeniably data-driven, could offend someone, particularly a person of color, who believes that the party should move past simply courting Caucasian voters? Well, it's not either or. Um, obviously, that uh, the key to any victory for Democrats in most, uh, in many congressional districts and in most states, you know, not not Wyoming and and not Idaho. Um, but in most states, including in the South, is to mobilize uh, the African-American vote and the Latino vote. And there have been significant efforts to do that. And I've written quite a bit about that. And, uh, you know, there's a governor's race going on right now in Alabama where, you know, electing uh, the first African-American woman as governor is impossible without having uh, an overwhelming high turnout of African-American voters 
who will, of course, vote uh, for um, uh, for the Democratic uh, candidate. But even in Alabama, you can't win an election uh, without um, a significant number of white votes. And in many congressional districts, particularly those swing districts where the the balance of the majority of uh, the House lays, uh, uh, for example, you know, we need the Democrats need to win 23 more seats. Uh, and there are about 60 seats uh, right now that are considered toss-up or battleground or swing districts. And many of those are in um, places where white working-class voters have a significant um, proportion of the uh, eligible voters. And so it's not, you know, it's not racist to say that we need a coalition of uh, liberals and progressives, of uh, people of color and white people, of people from... Um, rural areas and urban areas and, and suburban areas, um, you know, targeting voters based on their likely voter preferences is how you win elections. And uh, the unions have, as I pointed out earlier, have been successful at targeting um, people of color uh, as well as white uh, workers who were members of unions. I have a friend who's helping to run the Democratic campaign um uh, for uh, for the unions in Arizona right now. And, um, you know, they're mostly focusing on getting Latino voters to register to vote and to vote. Um, and there's a significant number of uh, union members, but also their families and friends who are not union members. Um, right now, about um, roughly a third of all the labor movement are people of color. Um, and, uh, and it's going to grow. It's going to grow. And the country's going to become more and more uh, people of color. And in the next 20 or 30 years, we'll be, uh, the whole country will be a majority of people of color. But, you know, you still got to win an election with 50% of the voters. Uh, and uh, whether it's a congressional election or a Senate election or governor or president, and uh, you need to target the voters who um, you can, you can uh, turn out and get to vote for Democrats, uh, progressive Democrats, preferably. But even a moderate Democrat is better than a reactionary Republican. So, um, so yeah, I, I don't think it's an either-or question, and I don't see why anybody would be offended by saying that um, you know we need to do more to mobilize white working-class voters. There's a stereotype that Trump won his election because of uh, the switch of many white working-class voters to the Republican Party, and he played on racism and he played on nativism and misogyny and other things like that. And uh, there's some truth to that. But, um, you know, if you look at these rallies uh, that Trump goes to, you know, it's, it's pretty disgusting to listen to what people have to say and so forth. And it looks like that they're mostly white and working class people. But that that's not most white working class people. That's not who shows up at, um, at the polls. And so it's important, as I said in my article, to uh, to not ignore this uh, this huge group. If you think about the the working class in America, which um, pollsters usually associate with people who didn't finish college, that's a little crude, but um, we didn't. You know, that's, that's still the the definitions often used. There's about 120 million uh, working class people over over 25 uh, who didn't finish college, and of those, 60% are white. So, if we want to win elections and change public policy and get Medicare for all and uh, free college education and raise the minimum wage to $15 and uh, strengthen our environmental laws and so forth and, and particularly get 
good people on the Supreme Court, um, we can't ignore the white working class. And as you point out, uh, to go along with what you were saying a moment ago, how the media often describes, and I hate that monolithic term, but many news reports or political analysts describe the election of Donald Trump as the rise or the uh, the white poor white working class strikes back. But you point out that 48% of all whites voted for Donald Trump compared to just 43% for Hillary Clinton. And actually, there was another bit of data, though, that I wanted to dig down on. You, you touched on these statistics briefly, but I think they're really interesting stats that you use to demonstrate how persuasive labor unions can be. Uh, you examine their effect on the 2008 election, stating that only 32% of white gun owners quote, cast their votes for Barack Obama, but in 2008, that is, but 54% of white gun owners who are also union members uh, preferred Obama. Among weekly churchgoers, John McCain scored 70% of the votes compared with 39, uh, 30% for Obama, but Obama had a slight edge in that election, 49 to, 58, uh, 49 to 48%, among white weekly churchgoers who belonged to unions. So what do you believe is behind this shift at the hands of union organizers? Are you implying a union membership trumps even religion in this country? Uh, yes, that's what, that's, what that's, those, that's what that data indicates, that um, if, um, if you're a member of the National Rifle Association or just a gun owner, most, you know, the National Rifle Association has less than, uh, I think, 5% of all the gun owners and its members. Uh, but if you're if you're a gun owner, and you care about you know the rights of gun owners, but you're not a fanatic, not a crazy person like the lunatics that run the National Rifle Association, uh, and you're also in a union and you're concerned about the safety of your workplace, you're concerned about getting a raise, you're concerned about uh, your employer taking away your health insurance or increasing the co-payments. Okay, so let's just say for the sake of argument that you get a you get a phone call from an NRA. Uh, members saying, you know, please vote for John McCain. Uh, he's going to protect uh, us from, uh, you know, from Barack Obama taking away your gun. And then you get a phone call and a door knock and a meeting from your union rep or from someone at, you know, at a, at a phone bank saying uh, Barack Obama says that he'll help to he'll favor raising the minimum wage and increasing OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration enforcement and. Uh, making college tuition less expensive and uh, and uh, re- reducing the cost of um, of health insurance and so forth, you know. Then you have to make a decision. You know, the old union song, "Which side am I on?" Right. And uh, and according to the data, you know, most people in that situation uh, contacted by uh, an NRA person or a union person are going to uh, think about their economic self-interest first. Um, you know, that's that's. Not true of everybody, obviously, but as you pointed out, as I said in my article, uh, 54% of white gun owners who were in unions voted for Barack Obama. And the same thing with, with churches, people that go to church once a week or people that are um, you know, religious uh, were more likely to vote for Obama if they were in a union. Now, obviously, there are some people who are diehard racists. There are people for whom, particularly evangelical Christians, for whom um, abortion and gay rights are the uh, litmus test issues, and they voted for Obama because they wanted him to appoint someone to the Supreme Court, as he's done, um, who will vote to abolish 
uh, same-sex marriage and um, and overturn Roe versus Wade. And, and in that situation, um, you know, sometimes your religious views will trump your uh, economic self-interest. But even there, as the data show, people who go to church on a regular basis, or, or even white evangelical Christians, were more likely to vote for Obama in 2008, 2012, if they were in a union and if they weren't. So, yes, unions, uh, it's not simply being in a union. It's having unions reach out and educate and mobilize you. Um, it's not simply the fact that you pay dues to a labor union. It's the fact that you are um, part of a constituency, part of a, uh, a, a group that uh, educates and mobilizes, and that's what's important. And uh, whereas unions have declined in their numbers and in their power over the last 30 years, groups like the NRA and the Christian Right and the Koch Brothers uh, network of right-wing local groups, they've surged in the last decade or so. And so if we're going to rebalance our political system to uh, make it more progressive, then uh, strengthening the labor movement has to be a key, key part of that. Thank you so much. Sure. My pleasure. I've been speaking with Peter Dreyer, the E.P. Clapp Distinguished Professor of Politics at Occidental College in California and author of the August 13th Rewire.News article, Want White Working Class Voters to Support Democrats, Strengthen Unions. You're listening to Trump Watch on WBAI New York. My name is Jesse And that's going to do it for this week's show. You can hear all 81 episodes of Trump Watch with Jesse Lent at soundcloud.com slash trumpwatchwbai or wherever you get your podcasts. If you can, take a minute to give us a rating or a review. It goes a long way to helping other people find this show. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter, and I'll be back next Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. when we'll break down another aspect of the Donald Trump administration. Until then... I'm your host, Jesse Lent. Talk to you next time. With the world on your shoulders, what can you see? God bless us all with the gift to pursue. Just clear your mind and you'll feel like me. Yeah. What you read, little bruh Get the words out your head, little bruh Get the shades, little